0: some of this you are tuned in to the station of audio consummation in this corner with brian campbell is back ready to inject you with that street grade dose of performance enhancing audio it's the pro wrestling edition as we invade your senses with three shows this week including a separate breakdown of wwe payback and the boxing edition previewing saturday's canelo chavez pay-per-view be sure to listen to that but right here right now This is WWE time in honor of the resurgence of Jinder Mahal and the return of Drew McIntyre to WWE television. Your old pal BC is looking to get the band back together. You guessed it. We're a three-man band. (laughs) Joining me in this corner is a name you know well by now, the artist formerly known as Adam Silverstein. Adam, how is it, my man?
1: Hey, now, don't do that to me. I don't want that moniker.
0: I knew you'd like that. And then joining us in the six-man tag is a name you'll soon get to know, the most passionate man in North America, Nasty Nick Costas. Welcome to
2: In This Corner. I got a couple things for you, buddy. Number one, that was a fantastic introduction. Um, If Adam's the artist formerly known as Adam Silverstein, then what's his new name? Or is that just his name? He's just the artist formerly known as. Is that it?
0: I was a slip of the tongue, I I meant to say currently known, to jab him for his, you know, his 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 displeasure with the presentation of Shinsuke Nakamura thus far, which we'll get into, believe me on that. But Nick, welcome to the show you know, open up the lid, pour out a little bit of your passion onto the listeners. Oh, it's great it.
2: it's great to be here, buddy, and I want to commend you guys. Um you guys have done a fantastic job on uh on this podcast thus far. I listen to each and every episode. You get me fired up every week for Raw and SmackDown and for the pay per views So an honor to be here, um, ready to break this down. I don't know if I like the name nasty Nick, but B C if that's what we want to roll with, brother. Let's do it. Let's, uh, yeah, let's that's, dominate.
0: You know, to, to, that's a little bit of a jab off the top there, maybe a little bit unnecessary. But we, we remind all you listeners out there to subscribe, rate, review, spread the word, all that good stuff. No reason not to just jump right into the main event to kick things off. Coming off of WWE Payback on Sunday night, a very good pay-per-view, of course. Had that sore thumb with the House of Horrors, but it played into our lead topic this week. Bray Wyatt and a fantastic triple threat main event match on Raw. Guys, look. I thought it was smart right off the top for WWE to transition away from that house of horrific, put it in the rear view as quickly as possible, an absolute debacle, booze from the crowd, constant criticism all around from anybody who who watched and listening, fan or journalist alike. And they transition Bray Wyatt right away into something that matters, something that activates the feel spot inside of me. H- how happy are you guys that we appear to be going now from – Bray in a jumbled feud, which only made him look bad, to Bray and Finn Balor as we move
2: ahead. No, I got to be real with you guys. See, I like Bray Wyatt, the performer. Um, I think that he is capable of so much more than he's been given. I'm not excited for this feud, and I'll tell you why. Um, Bray comes out with angle in the ring, right? And he cuts the normal Bray promo, which is he comes out and he he doesn't make sense for 30 to 60 seconds and then it goes dark and then they go to commercial break. Um, it's the same crap with Bray Wyatt. And why do we feel like this is going to be any different than any of the other high profile feuds that Bray's been involved with? Whether it's John Cena, this one with Randy Orton or any of the others here, Bray Wyatt gets involved with a face, usually a white hot face. He beats the face up for a month or so and then they have the pay-per-view match and he loses. Like that is what's going to happen here. Bray Wyatt is not going over Finn Balor. Finn Balor is WWE's guy. Remember, he's the first ever Universal Champion. They put him over Rollins in his first pay-per-view match before he gets hurt. So they're going to want to build Finn Balor up. They're going to feed Bray Wyatt to Finn Balor. We're going to be sitting here in a month, six weeks, two months from now saying, hey, WWE dropped the ball with Bray Wyatt yet again here. Because it's going to be the same story. We've seen this movie before. We know how it ends. And it ends with Bray Wyatt doing the J-O-B for the 1-2-3 at the PPV. (laughs) Honestly, all the right
0: to to say that. I think that that's a fair sort of cynical reaction to this. I get guess, guess my optimist button was pushed so hard because the end run to that Orton feud was so bad that I just want to see him in something different, something that matters. Adam, do you hold excitement and do you care that we're now going to Take their demon swords and kind of, you know, cross them and have a little bit of a a demonic sword fight. Well, Adam loves sword crossing. We know
1: (laughs) that for sure. (laughs) So you know Nick is right uh, in terms of everything with Bray Wyatt. We've discussed this ad nauseum on here that they just bury this guy one time after another. It's unreal. Uh, It's, it's every single time you think, Oh wow, they're actually pushing him. They give him the title finally and they say, Oh, you know what? Let's just have him drop it in an eight-minute match at WrestleMania to a guy who's already had it thirteen times. Doesn't need the belt again. Um,
2: and let's put Bugs in the ring. While yeah, it's going yeah, let's, on. yeah. Let's let's put, put, do all this crazy. Let's crap. put
1: let's put Bugs in the ring while it's going on. And oh yeah, now his rematch. Let's take the title out of that rematch. Let's move him to another show so everyone knows he's not going to win the title back. There's not even a, a chance of that happening. Um, just for me, it, it just doesn't work um, with Bray in general the way they've been booking him as of late. Um, and it's just going to be an issue that really goes on forever. And Finn Balor certainly is not going to be the one that helps it. As Nick said, it's a situation where he's just going to – there's no way Bray Wyatt comes out on top on a feud with Finn Balor. So I didn't necessarily love – the pairing is going to be great because it's going to be fun to watch. They're both really good performers. They're going to work well together. Agreed. But ultimately, it's just not a feud that's going to elevate Bray Wyatt. However, at this point, we may need to just say to ourselves, it's a lost cause. Like, Bray's great. He is what he is. There are guys like that, like – Yeah, Kane had a couple title runs, but he was always second to The Undertaker. He's always someone that was going to lose matches. Not every single performer in WWE is what we want them to ultimately be. I haven't, I love Dolph Ziggler. I think he's a main eventer. He should be getting title runs, but I've now come to accept over the last kind of year. Yeah, you know, they gave him that one shot when SmackDown started and he lost to Dean Ambrose and that was it.
2: Like counter to what you just said here in BC. We'll see if you agree with this or not. Now you mentioned Kane and Ziggler, right? In comparison. Here's the thing, right? Kane is not As good an in-ring performer as Bray Wyatt. And Dolph Ziggler can't talk. I love Dolph Ziggler. He's got the look. He's got everything. The guy's horrific on the mic, so you can't put him in that main event role. Bray Wyatt is good on the mic when he's not spouting off nonsense that sounds like the the, the, the drunk ramblings of a a college sophomore. And he can work in the ring. And after all the screw-ups with Bray, whether it's losing to The Undertaker at WrestleMania, The Undertaker with no build up to that match, whether it's losing clean to John Cena, whether it's the Randy Orton debacle, they could have gotten it right. If they had put Bray over Andy Orton at WrestleMania and given yeah, him a strong. Absolutely. Run so after all the, the screw bookings. ups. I don't so, think I
0: can put anything negatively bad on, on Bray Wyatt and I think I'm, I see on social media a lot of people are trying to do that like maybe it's just not going to work maybe he's just not the guy I counter that and say look he's as good as he could be for his size in the ring he's very quick that part I have no problem with it comes down to the story never making sense and people are saying yeah. you know, maybe that's Bray's fault that his promos aren't making sense very few people get the freedom to just come out there and say what they want and normally they had to have come from the attitude era to almost grandfather in that freedom Bray is that new generation I just think he He's getting such a consistently bad hand drawn for him in what to say and whether things make sense. Yet when he had the belt on him leading into WrestleMania, that month-and-a-half stretch was the best month-and-a-half stretch of his career. There was an extra shine, an extra amount of power that just radiated off of him that made everything feel like it finally made sense. They need to go back to that. I think your point on, hey, this doesn't set up a, a bright future for him going over Balor is is certainly a great one. But I've got to hope that WWE is at least listening to how badly people hated the end of that Orton feud, how nothing made sense. Like even that bug thing, great spot in the ring. If – they would have tied it together to some form of a story. Look, I'll believe that Papa Shango has special powers over somebody. But this like any good movie, the story has to have a conclusion that ties it all together. They haven't done it. You hope is the, this is the beginning of that. But I re, Adam knows that Monday night I was at the end of my rope. I essentially tweeted out, A-W-W-E, stop ruining this guy. You know, sincerely all of us. We're sick of it. And Adam – the D-O-double-G himself? Jesse James coming back at I me?
1: Mean, somebody's listening to what we're saying here, right? Yeah, I mean, he he came back, and I fully agreed with him. I wanted to see how it developed and kind of what happened and as it went on. And I think it paid off because we're stuck on Bray Wyatt here, but what we need to talk about is that really it was a two-segment uh shindig, maybe three, because you had Angle uh, and Wyatt, and then you had the rest of the guys all together in the ring. I loved just how it was set up and how the main event on Raw Set up three different matches for the pay-per-view. So I want to start. I want to go back a little bit. I want to take us off Bray. Everything that Dean Ambrose said about Brock Lesnar and the Universal title, him never defending it, um, maybe seeing him four times a year. It was spot on. I mean, that's stuff that we all talk about that fans want to wrestlers to say. It's stuff that John Cena said about The Rock. Hey, you're a part-timer or whatever. Dean Ambrose came out and said that and I loved it. He was being honest. I'm a little mixed though where he transitioned from that and tried to elevate the intercontinental title as the best on the show. Look, we know the IC title and the US title are important and good, but don't give me, oh, this is the biggest title on the show because the guy that Vince McMahon decided to put the belt on is only going to show up, you know, six times a year. I don't like that. Um, and it kind of looked like they were going to do that at some point. What I liked is that they eventually had Ambrose, uh, not Ambrose, I'm sorry, The Miz going over and being that contender for Ambrose title where they say, look, we recognize these other guys, they're above the Intercontinental title at this point. They can go into feuds that lead them to Brock Lesnar in the end. So I'm glad that wasn't the case ultimately. Um, In terms of the match itself later in the show, I want to get to that as well. Rollins really shined. To me, he looked better than he has at any point since he's returned from the legitimate, really bad knee injury, he did tweak it again, obviously. But I loved that. It also showed me we need to see Rollins and Balor have a long run together. The the Universal Title the one off was great. Obviously, he got injured. That was difficult. Um, but I just was thrilled, kind of, with every the whole way that match set up. It was a perfect use of Bray Wyatt as a destroyer at the end. He's back to making some of those random appearances, first surprising angle. It was with a really, really interesting dynamic early in the show, which you kind of were against at first. And that's where the DOWG puts you in your place and kind of throwing people off their game. Um, and I enjoyed both segments he was in on Monday, especially the line that he said to Angle: this may be your show, but you need to understand this is my world. So yeah. when they're gonna I mean, it stinks. I come liked on. it. I liked no, it. You I liked don't. it. When I because you, you do, but you don't. No, because you're gonna blow it. Because you're gonna hate it. Because here's why. Because when I say it, it doesn't come off with the same effect that Bray Wyatt does. But that segment, the segment with all those guys—Ambrose, uh, Rollins, The Miz, uh, Balor—in the ring together, and then the main event as a whole, the way it was booked, the way the finish was—we give WWE a lot of crap. That main event was spectacular.
0: That's as good as it gets on free TV, guys. And and I think your point on Rollins is is best served. There's something in him lately that is sort of, and I've said this on air before, that sort of feels like he's trying to make up for that lost time when he was injured. He was on top of the world in WWE in 2015, gets injured, gone for a while, comes back, the babyface push didn't really work, and in that interim – AJ Styles is shining. He's everyone's darling. He's the best worker in the world. I think that war on Seth. Seth was in a feud that really didn't matter when he came back, and it's really Triple H's fault for disappearing from TV for six months after handing the title to Owens. I think you're seeing a fired-up Seth Rollins, and I think that's the best version you can. Well, the best version you can see is, is a heel of him, of course, which we won't get yet, but a fired-up version. He shined in that match. He did about seven finishing-type moves that wouldn't got a three-count over anybody, constant kickouts, constant elevating of emotion, and I think... In the end, Miz is the winner of that match. But Nick, I gotta get your take on this. I don't think he wins by going into an Ambrose feud that we just saw two months ago and were happy for a week in hope that it may have been over. It looked like Sunday night they were teasing The Miz and Balor to do a good program. Now The Miz goes back to Ambrose. I don't really want to see that.
2: Yeah, I, I don't, he won the match, but like that's the least important of like the three, four things that happened. It's the least important of, of the three or four things, right? The Miz Ambrose thing. See, I like that because Miz is good and Ambrose is good. You have the added layer of Maurice and Renee Young and they did some stuff with that prior to wrestling. WrestleMania. So I think that there is some potential there. But obviously, when you look at Bray Wyatt and then Rollins and Finn Balor, obviously, there's a lot more important things that are going on with that match. But on that match, look, just to echo what you guys said. Fantastic match. Like, you talk about the feel spot, Bri. I'm watching that on Monday night. I'm off my couch. I'm going nuts. Like, that was awesome. That speaks to the wrestling fan and all of us. And on Seth Rollins, the guy's Shawn Michaels. Yeah. I mean... Like AJ – what I'm going to say is sacrilege right now. AJ Styles is maybe like a 9.8 out of 10. Seth Rollins is a 9.9. 9. I think Rollins is the best mm, worker
0: in the company. I think he's more Randy Savage, which is just an equal oh, compliment think. I think
2: right? – and it's a great – analogy that you bring up I think that he's closer to Shawn Michaels from the perspective that you put Shawn Michaels in the ring with anybody and that match is going to be what three and a half four stars just because Michaels is there Rollins is the same way the spot that really stood out to me the superplex into the Falcon Arrow is such a noteworthy visually striking spot and I'm sitting there watching this like who the hell else could pull that off other than Rollins and make it look so effortless he's so fluid in the ring the guy's unbelievable Finn Balor's great. Rollins is better than Finn Balor, and like, and, and it's tough. To, yes, no, he is. Yeah, he is. What's wrong with
0: that move, Nick? is how do you kick out of that? The superplex still means something. Well, because he when, can't do it Bob against the bigger Orton used guys. When that the match was over, now he pairs two finishing moves together and people are kicking out. And
2: Bob maybe Orton, or maybe, BC. Not what are Monday we talking night. about, 1981 here, bud? But don't,
1: mean, don't, this is a bigger issue with WWE as a whole that we're getting into, is some of these guys really do need secondary finishers that they can pin. And with Rollins... What's he's, his
2: finisher right now?
1: Well, it was the pedigree, and he's not doing it either A because of the knee and B because of separating with Triple H. He doesn't have a finisher, at least yeah. that, that I can remember right now, and the Falcon's Arrow is as good as any that he could come up with. So what Should you use do, that blockbuster, so, uh, that and the the blo- Blockbuster Stick too, but you ha- I think
2: Buff Bagwell's finishing move. What
1: you, what you have him do though is you have him be able to pin people with the Falcon's Arrow, and then when you're in pay-per-views and you need the little extra bump, superplex. then you do the superplex into it, and it's like, oh, they already kicked out of the Falcon's Arrow. Let's do this superplex into it and pin. That is a Nick, Nick But can he it. do great. it to the
2: bigger guys though? That's the problem. It's tough. I don't know if he can he Falcon Arrow Roman Reigns.
1: He could he could probably Falcon Arrow Reigns. I don't know if he could do it to Lesnar.
2: Or, or, or and obviously not Braun Strowman. So I think no. that that's the only issue with that move. Like, he could have done the curb stomp or the pedigree to anybody. But then
1: you have secondary moves. You have other ways to beat guys. You have yeah. a submission hold. Like, John Cena couldn't... I mean, he, he can do it to anyone because he's really strong. But John Cena ha- brought in that submission the hold, STF, yep. the STF, into his career because he needed something, another way to beat people. And these guys, all of them across the board, especially the main eventers, need two to three different ways to earn a pin. And they can't have... They can't be using these moves in every match and having guys kick out of them. I, I don't like yeah, I mean, Rollins as a face, him. though, Bri. They don't protect the moves. I mean,
0: that, that's the bottom line. You know, it, it's a paper. If you're at a pay per view, you should be allowed to kick out of one finishing move, sure. right? I mean, there's got to be a better overall. But guys, transitioning out of this, I do have an elephant in the room statement. Adam, you brought it up when you mentioned the well-timed comment from Ambrose, which. You you love when he does that. It was a little slight at Brock, and you're hoping that it's an extension of that podcast where Ambrose kind of opened up to Stone Cold Steve Austin saying the WrestleMania match two years ago stunk because Brock was unwilling or unwilling to, to play ball and do some things. The elephant in the room is that I love when Lesnar has the belt so much because it elevates him and, and everything around him to such a higher level because it, it makes him so much more focused. It just makes his – Times when he's on air matter even more. But if he's going to do a part-time schedule and hold the belt, man, you have a logjam of, of competitors underneath with nothing important to do. And I thought at the, at the beginning of that triple threat match, before it got going, before it got awesome, there was a little bit of that bottleneck feeling like – Hey, is Brock going to come back one of these weeks? Because if he doesn't, I know Roman's tied up with with Strowman, and there's enough of of a story there to keep you interested. But man, you got to be putting some of these guys in things that matter because they're too good to hang around, you know, feuding against mid level guys. I'll make it short.
1: I lo- the champion doesn't necessarily need to be on every show if he's Brock, but I also can't have him missing six weeks. It just doesn't work for me.
2: That's it's it's an inarguable point. A hundred percent, hundred percent agree.
0: The co-main event this week is the biggest item from SmackDown, and that's the exit of Chris Jericho appears from WWE television with Kevin Owens regaining the U.S. title in the main event two days after losing it at Payback. And, guys, I thought that this was handled so perfectly. And like Adam said, we do enough bashing the creative when we need to, when we should. You got to come back on the other end of it. We all knew coming in you do the math that Jericho is probably not going to be around for a while. He, we know he hung around in 2016 longer than he expected because that resurgent run became so much fun. He's got tour dates already announced for his band Fozzie. The gut getting a little bit longer, like I mentioned on the Sunday night show, not in the, in, in as good as a shape as he was three weeks ago. It all came together to, to lead you to believe he's leaving. But they do the final swerve. Give him the belt one more time. Allow him to have a huge role in Tuesday's episode, playing the, playing the hits, all the old catchphrases. And then, like you have to do when you leave a territory, leaving on your back viciously. And I think that the reason why this worked so well and activated my feel spot was Kevin Owens next to Jericho played that comedic role well. They were a duo that dominated the second half of 2016. But that mutes what makes Kevin Owens so good. He's a vile human being. He's a heel who has viciously beaten down his former best friend and Sami Zayn, viciously beaten down John Cena on his first night on the main roster what he did to Jericho to close that show with Jericho selling it with that moaning, man, well done, WWE.
2: Yeah, and I want to give everyone, all parties should get credit for the way that went down. First, you give Kevin Owens credit. And BC, you and I did a couple of videos before we did this podcast, and the word you used was maniacal. And I thought that you nailed that. and Because that's what Kevin Owens is, and that's what makes him such a special heel, is that you really believe that, hey, like this guy really is like an, an SOB, like down underneath it all. He plays that role so perfectly. And, and you want to give Jericho a ton of credit, like you said, for the way that he sold it. And what really put it over the top for me in terms of Jericho was the dazed look that he had on his face following the DDT and the way that that was sold throughout the remainder of the match. He really did have that glassy look in his face that led you to believe that, wow, like he was screwed up, like I dropped on his head. And I want to give the announce crew also a ton of credit for the way that they sold that and put it over. So you had Owens was great. Jericho was great. And the announcers were great. It made for a really fantastic closing angle. Jericho will come back white-hot as a face when he comes back to feud with Kevin Owens. Owens, in the interim, can build off of what he just did. And again, the announcers deserve some credit also. So, I mean, bravo for the end of SmackDown. And of course, just to go back, bravo for the end of Raw. I think WWE nailed the main event segments in both shows this week. Yeah,
1: What you guys are saying is spot on. There's really no question about it. I love the send-off for Jericho. Like you said, he has to go out on his back. That's the way it goes. I was, you know, the surprise in all of this wasn't that Kevin Owens hurt Jericho before and you know, had the title before he left the co- company. The surprise was that payback. Them yes. putting the title back on
2: Jericho and I loved and it. And KO tapped out and now they get to him yeah. with the you tapped out chance, so it was brilliantly done. It was it was
1: brilliant all all phases. Um Owens just continues to impress me. He's so good in the ring for a big guy. And it works so well with Jericho, especially, you know, Jericho has been slowing down a little bit, and that's okay. He's getting older. But Owens is a burgeoning star. He's really going to be something. He's already good, already great. He's going to be amazing when he's a full-time main eventer and gets, like, another eight-month run. With a world title and gets to just thwart baby faces and win cheap, because um, he's strong. He's one of the strongest heels in the company. There's a lot of there's a lot of heels that win cheaply. You know, we see it with gender. We'll talk about that later. Um, but you need strong heels who actually win matches, dominate guys, retire people. That's why Randy Orton was really good as a heel. He retired legends. That, the legend killer. The legend killer. It was great. But I want to bring up another topic. In you know, a, a tangential topic with this. I'm curious if this was the best run of Chris Jericho's entire career. And I realize yes, he wasn't the undisputed champ in this run. He didn't beat The Rock and Steve Austin in the same night. But you're talking about a guy who completely reinvented himself while still being himself. He had a comedy feud with Owens, he had uh two major wrestling fueled uh feuds with Styles first and then Owens once they broke up. Um uh, seven different catchphrases Fans chanting. We put a video on of him on CBS Sports Digital on our social media. It was the most watched video for the entire month of April. And that's during WrestleMania, the NCAA tournament, and all the other cool sports stuff that was going on. People love Chris Jericho, and he's always been great. He's always been a lot of fun. But to me, this is the best he has ever been. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, I, I think this is the, the most entertaining work of his whole career. He has a really interesting career where this final stage, this final stretch – Upped the greatness level of where we'll rank him all time. And, and to be honest, he's got one of those compiler careers where it was more the sum of the parts. He's more, you know, Craig Biggio and, and, and Chipper Jones than he is, you know, Aaron su- and Billy Maine. That is Mays such an insulting in regards. <laughs> that is so insulting. You're so wrong. The- This may not have been as important as holding both of those titles or even when he came back in the suits and doing that run in in the late half of the aughts decade where he was really good. I just think comedically it held together so well. He's working much more efficiently both in the ring and on the microphone. He's very cognizant of what catchphrases are working or getting over and he'll bleed them for a while but then he'll transition and give you something new. All in all, I have to agree with you. This will be the the era that I'll remember the most. And and look, there's been a lot of eras. Even when you go back to that '90s run with from ECW to to the cruiserweight division on WCW to the run opposite Steph and you know in the early 2000s when right. when they did all that inappropriate Trashback, comedic bottom stuff, bottom
2: feeding, et cetera. Yeah, we'll leave all the rest that stuff. Out. Yeah. This
0: is the, this is the, the the time and and the in the stretch that I'll I'll love Jericho the most and I think you have to give him so much credit. You got to give DDP Yoga a lot of credit for reviving him, but I don't think <laughs> he knew he was going to be this good coming back. I don't think any of us did. And you could say, you could make the case that he was the MVP of not just Raw but maybe the company over the second half of 2016. It's a little bit of a stretch with what AJ Styles it's a did. A little bit of a stretch. It's
2: a huge stretch. It's not you even, know, it's not it even it close, be Best then.
0: supporting actor, then, right? All right,
2: that, that I can give you, and I'll tell you this, and, and I feel like I'm very qualified to answer this question as a lifelong Jericho holic. I may or may not still own the Monday Night Jericho shirt from back from his Monday Nitro days. Um, Jericho has been, he's probably in my two or three favorites of all time. Michaels is number one. Jericho might actually be number two for me, and I think if you're going to give the definitive ranking of the Chris Jericho runs, this run was great and saying that it's not in the top two shouldn't take away from it because it was really sensational the best run of Chris Jericho's career was in the cruiserweight division on Monday Nitro which sounds like an outrageous comment and younger listeners that hear this might be thinking how could a cruiserweight run be as good as his main event stuff go back and watch Chris Jericho in the late 90s in the cruiserweight division when this character first started to develop the guy was absolutely unbelievable and he was the best thing on Nitro when Nitro had Hogan and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and even Goldberg Jericho was the the best thing going to me that's the best version of Chris Jericho and then I think Brian you brought it up to your like to your credit here when he came out suited and zooted in that feud with Shawn Michaels remember putting Michaels through the Jeritron 5000 they they gave him the title that classic run of matches including a great ladder match so I'm with you here this run was great Um, the list of Jericho is pretty funny his comedic work was sensational obviously he's still very good in the ring but as far as I'm concerned nothing will ever beat 1999, Chris Jericho feuding with Stinko Malenko and Ron Mysterio Jr. and, and all that stuff with Jericho and WCW. Did you catch your Ron Mysterio in there? Did I catch the, did you yes. catch a Niner in there? Stinko Malenko. <laughs> what did he call, Um Juventud Guerrero? He had some funny nickname for who to be to turd, right? and something Probably. like that. But that's Probably. where it started. Like he was doing this, calling people by the wrong names twenty years ago in WCW, and he was the first one to really ever do it. And he was absolutely classic. So I and mean, if you want to be a nerd, he's greats. got five
0: star matches in Japan that'll change your life from the nineties. If you want to go back and do that
2: against Gato, right? G E D O back back in the day in the Japan Super Cup in the mid nineties.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, there's, there's, the, the, against the dude with the Tiger Max, there's a lot of classics going on back there with, with, without question. Uh, great news for Jericho, but this was the perfect kickoff guys for Kevin Owens and AJ Styles. I think it gives it a little bit more of a splash and juice. They already pre-announced it, but when this is, this is a money feud moving forward. But one thing I wanted to point out, did you guys catch talking smack? KO came on, which he could be a very, strong asset for that show moving forward. He closed the show with some jawing with Shane McMahon. Now he's done that since the superstar shakeup came on, you know, what was, was an insolent, what was talking trash to Renee Young, but I felt an extra level of heat. Are we to believe guys that a KO Shane O'Mac, like SummerSlam or Survivor Series match is starting to be, to come together. We know whatever Shane wants, he's going to get for his power. He's for in the company and
1: the fact that he still can deliver at this age. Did you guys catch that feel? I I mean, there was some good heat there between the two. It was definitely kind of, there were undertones of deep-seated hatred. It was, it was pretty solid, but... Are they going to have Kevin Owens one of the, the newest acquisition one of the top 2 new acquisitions for SmackDown fight Shane McMahon at SummerSlam? I mean,
2: I mean they had The Undertaker fight him at WrestleMania. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know. I think they keep the title on him to SummerSlam. It's not that far away. If they're going to pull the title off him, he better be in the main event picture not fighting Shane. That's not saying I don't like him and Shane, you know, in a ring at some point. I think it would be good and Shane's fantastic, but I don't necessarily know that I need that. I think it was more just really good heat on a show that, you know, needed a little bit of a, a hook at the close. I don't and, know. And it was really Shane solid. wanted AJ and he got him. I mean, he's got, you know, he's one step away from the throne, right? The guy gets what he wants. Well, Shane wanted AJ, but WWE apparently wanted AJ and Shawn. They couldn't find anything. They had
2: nothing to do with they AJ. Had nothing. So they nothing. like, okay, let's have him Yeah, and,
1: and AJ, I'm sure if you're asking AJ, hey, who did you want to fight at WrestleMania? I doubt Shane McMahon was the top choice. Now, once they probably started working together and figuring it out. That match was incredible. Yo, the we, match was good. The match was amazing. Better than it had any right to be. Yeah, there's nothing to be upset about after that. But I don't think any wrestler's choice is, hey, you know what? I'm in a hot feud right now. Eh, let's end that and let me fight Shane at a major pay-per-view. Fair enough on that. That's your co and
0: main event this week in Raw and SmackDown. Let's transition to the favorite segment for a lot of people that growing buzz around this one, Hero or Zero. It's very easy, guys. All right. As things stands right now, these gimmicks, these characters, are they working? Are they not working? Let's get let's get these quick hot tag takes and pass it around. I want to start off with you, Nick. The self-proclaimed goddess of raw, Alexa Bliss, yeah. as the new face overall of the women's division, hero or zero this week.
2: Oh, I mean, I don't think hero is strong enough for it. Um, I think there's a chance that if we were all standing on the edge of a cliff, I may give you guys a slight nudge if it meant that I get to 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 hang out with Miss Alexa Bliss. Um, she's perfect. <laughs> um, she's a great worker. She's awesome on the mic. And, Brian, you brought something up. I don't know if it was one of these podcasts or a video that we did, but you've said this a couple times, I think, that in addition to being good on the mic, she's so good at selling things facially. Her facial expressions are awesome. Like, you get the sense that if she were not a wrestler, like, she could act. She would be a great actress. She's awesome. And – Listen, I'm a guy here, and I'm sure that we have female listeners as well, but I speak from the male perspective. She's gorgeous. Um, I can't take my eyes off her when she's in the ring. Um, She's an electric performer, and I think she's so clearly the star of that group right now of the women's wrestlers on Monday Night Raw. Um, She's a hero. She's awesome. Um, I want more Alexa Bliss in my life. I am a huge, huge, huge fan of the gorgeous and talented Alexa Bliss.
1: I mean, listen, I concur with everything Nick said. What impresses me about her is the mic work and how she just continues to get better every single week. That type of segment has gone so wrong for WWE before. <laughs> That's a great point. Having, a, having someone on a pedestal in a ring surrounded by other people with a coronation, so many of those segments are boring and bad. She went woman by woman. She made the really funny comment at Nia Jax like, oh, no, we're friends, Nia. We're going to be tag team partners She later. sells it. She's, She's, she makes you believe. Sold it all the way. She is so strong as a heel that I honestly – I don't think I ever want her to be a face. And what the other thing we should talk She'll about? She'll
2: start to get facey at, at some point. At some though, point, she, she's so good. At
1: some point, she will. I'm just happy. You know, remember she had that like skeleton uh thing that she wore on her hand in NXT, and she made the fist. I'm glad that's gone because that was horrible. That was like her only gimmick. And then they realized, oh, guess what? She can actually talk on the mic. So hero for me, it's a no doubt. Or Brian, what about you? Yeah, I mean, she's acting like she
0: belonged from day one. She made a huge leap when they did put the belt on her through December, January, during that early stretch on SmackDown. I think what she's done even more to elevate... Her character right now since getting to Raw is be much more physical in the ring. We saw a dirtier look in terms of her heelness this week when she was willing to cheat to win, but she's much more physical. She bullied Bailey on Sunday night, and that really stood out to me that for five feet of fury, for somebody that can do the facial things, do the resting bliss face, can talk on the mic better than anyone, including Charlotte. God, I love she's- her. <laughs> no, like, I really do, man. Like, I love her. Yeah. She's athletic and a gymnast, but she's acting more physical and more and more destructive, and that's important to to sell the full package and, and put herself over. Like, but
2: I, I want to take bumps from her. Like I want her to beat me up. Like, I would, I, I would pay to get in the ring with her and have her beat me up. I would love that. I what's love that,
0: her. What's that finishing move she does at the top? Twisted Bliss? You'd Whatever have to be on the bottom is, of that. Yes,
2: I would. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> let's let's, let's cut it outside. and
0: move on here. Adam, I want to hit you with this one, Hero or Zero. This is right in your wheelhouse, broski. Yeah, man. The WWE's decision to preserve the artist known as Shinsuke Nakamura's main roster in-ring debut to the May 21st Backlash
1: pay-per-view. So I've been ranting about this for a month now since he's been on the show and still has not wrestled. I've been so critical, but what the hell? What's another three weeks at this point? I mean, we've already been through four uh, or five without Shinsuke Wrestling. So, sure, let's make it three more. Um, I guess it makes it feel bigger. And he's going to deliver on the show, there's no doubt. Him and Ziggler, they're going to have a really nice match. But they, they can't do this all the time. I mean, they got to get these people that they brought over to SmackDown on the show. Three-quarters of the new stars of SmackDown haven't made their debut. Rusev's not there. Lana's not there with her new chair gimmick that looks like the most forced thing in the entire world. The New Day, three dudes that are should be revitalizing the tag team division. I know they need their... Va- I know all these people need their vacations, but... Well, none they're, of them, well they're hurt. Yeah, or yeah. they're hurt, but none of them have been there. It's been a month. What I find funny is I've gotten a couple comments, you know, on Twitter from this podcast. Hey, Adam, you're in the heel role a little bit. Well, what I loved is that Dolph Ziggler basically repeated every single thing I've been saying about Shinsuke not performing on the show in that backstage segment with Shane. So I loved it. Um, I'll give it a hero... An unexpected hero here because since he's already been held out five weeks, what's another three? Make it a big moment. I guess that's a good decision if you're not going to have him wrestle. But for me, it's a zero. I want to say I want to see Shinsuke. I don't like what they did the first few weeks. We talked about that. I thought it was a big zero,
0: but now that they're delaying it and make it feel a little bit more special, it puts pressure on them to come through and deliver. And you can't present this guy as a goofball, and they've done a little bit too much of that. If they use this time of him away from the screen to build the momentum and sell him as a vicious MMA style striker then I'll be more I'll be more down for it.
2: Okay, I'm going to go hero here, but I think this is a fairly nuanced point that we brought up and a fairly nuanced topic here, right? So, based on the the question itself is having Nakamura's in-ring debut on the pay-per-view. That part of it I like. You build it up, you make it really special. And it's not like they're ignoring him on the shows, right? They have the vignette for him every week. He's come out a couple times. They reference him backstage, and they're really putting over his theme in the entrance. And you see that be the focal point of the packages and the vignettes, et cetera. So I think from that perspective, you like it because you're going to make it really special. He's a great performer. Ziggler's a great performer. They're going to put on a great match. It's going to steal the show, and people are going to be buzzing about it. So I'm going to go hero, but I do have some trepidation because I don't necessarily like the way that they've booked him thus far, especially in that asinine segment that you guys covered um, with him and and, Naka, and not, with Ziggler Nakamura in the ring with the Michael Jackson stuff. I actually tweeted it out. like It took two weeks for them to ruin Shinsuke Nakamura. They built him up on NXT. <laughs> He's this great competitor. It took them three weeks to blow it. And we've seen WWE do this with guys before that are white hot in NXT come up and they don't know what to do with them. So I'm a little nervous about how WWE is handling the character of Shinsuke Nakamura. The decision to hold him out in ring until the pay-per-view is fine. I just hope that they don't blow it here. I feel like if you put a gun to my head, I think they're going to blow it with Nakamura and we, his character.
1: So you you guys know I've been ranting about Nakamura for weeks. What you don't know is Nick just got red in the face. He's as passionate as I am about it. And I absolutely Cause love it. Because the
2: guy's great. Don't yeah. blow it. No, no, don't no. blow it.
1: Totally right. Let's move on. Charlotte Flair on SmackDown. Making a subtle babyface turn a little bit this week. Kind of... Uh, but she just has to align with Naomi the champion who- Not so
2: subtle, I think. She's a face. Maybe
1: it's not as much with Becky Lynch kinda against that new women's heel faction. Brian, buy or sell this face Charlotte that we kinda have had glimpses on when she was introduced on Raw initially, but she's been a heel for the last year plus. Look, massive zero on this one, guys. Massive. Mm. Obviously, it's early
0: and there could be a lot of twists and turns in the storyline with her turning heel next week for all we know. But as things stand right now, this makes absolutely no sense. Charlotte has said it herself in every public interview possible. I didn't work as a babyface because of of one thing, not only my dad being Ric Flair, right, and, and he was such a great heel, but it didn't work because if I'm presenting myself as genetically superior, that is a built-in cocky attitude of superiority there that is naturally a heel. That first off. Secondly... She made a giant arrival on the set of SmackDown demands a title shot, has some pretty good matches with Naomi with a high level athleticism that shows you there's potential for the future. Why do you press pause? Why do you do that? And suddenly align her with Naomi and their tag team partners this week made no sense whatsoever. She, when she works on the microphone, she can be hit or miss, but when she is working it and in her groove, she is a tremendous heel. There is nothing about her that screams babyface except for the person that she actually is behind the scenes. Huge zero right now, guys. Makes no sense. I'm hoping that this was a necessary turn in the story to set something up big for next week, but right now it makes no sense.
2: I'm going to go hero on this one, and it's purely because of the fan reaction. The fans are already behind her. Like It did not take long for the fans to get behind Charlotte. She got a ton of face heat last night. Now, the thing that we Worries me. The heels, the heel women on SmackDown are not as strong as the heel women that you have on Monday Night Raw. So, with this new stable that they're building with Tamina, uh, and Carmella, and Natalia, none of those three women really, like, they're good ring ring performers, but do they have the juice of some of the performers that we see on Monday Night Raw? They really don't. So Charlotte as a face from that perspective, like who is she really going to work with that's really going to be like a good good girl, bad girl dynamic? I think that's missing a little bit, but as far as the face turn itself is concerned – the fans are already behind her, so I think from that perspective i can 't go anything else but, but isn 't that a heel
0: move to come on a show and demand a title shot and tell everyone you 're superior and now we 're supposed to have sympathy for her but
2: I think we 've seen that before there 's a lot of cocky, arrogant faces like the rock is for it. and i 'm not I am not comparing Charlotte <laughs> Flair to the rock, but the rock would come out and do his cocky thing, and the fans loved it because he was so great that. It didn't make a difference what he came out and said. And Charlotte Flair, she's not The Rock. But as far as female competitors are concerned in WWE, in-ring, microphone, charisma, presentation, she's the best. And I love Alexa Bliss. I talked about how great she is. She can't touch Charlotte in-ring right now. Charlotte's better. It's a
1: zero for me mostly because, first of all, she's better as a heel. We've already gone over that. But the whole SmackDown women's division, when you look at it presented in the in the ring like it was or or just on the show as a whole – it's really not strong. Not. There's three wrestlers that can do stuff, and there's three that are just there. And when you contrast that with what's going on on Raw, and really, you have to remember, they made the the, the Bliss Charlotte switch was important because it didn't just change uh, the top performer, let's say, from each each company. They changed face and heel now that actually Charlotte is switching over. We thought it was a heel switch, and it wasn't. So they took a heel off SmackDown, gave him a face. It's a zero for me. Not a fan of it all, at all. And who is going to feud with Becky Lynch and Naomi if it's not Charlotte? I don't want you to believe
0: it's a temporary move in the end, which is why I sort of put that disclaimer out. But as things, it, it, no, drop drop the zero, get with the hero. It's not. I don't like it right now, but we'll we'll beg to differ. Moving on, Nick. I want to hit you up with this one: the July 9th Raw exclusive pay per view in Dallas has been announced. Brock Lesnar has been booked to be there. It's been advertised locally. WWE confirmed it. The name? Great Balls of Fire. Hero or Zero on this name?
2: Alright, I'm going to ask you guys like, I know the segment's called Hero or Zero. Let's just do, let's not even offer Hero as an option here. Let's just all go Zero because no one is going to say Hero. It's the worst pay-per-view name of all time. WCW <laughs> WCW had some bad ones, but as far as WWE is concerned, WWE has had some bad pay-per-view names also. What the hell is Great Balls of Fire? Like, this strikes me as Vince, <laughs> Vince McMahon sitting there, right, probably on a Saturday night and he hears the song Great Balls of Fire and he's like, ah, you know what would be a great name for a pay-per-view? Great Balls of Fire. And Vince is in charge. So that's what they go with. What was wrong with the Great American Bash? What about bad blood? Like, uh, what too about much
0: what, WCW love? Vince not putting over uh, the Crockets? But, Come on! But
2: like, but they they can't like resuscitate one of these old pay per view names that's fallen by the wayside. Great balls of fire! And not the worst part about this is, and like we made like the three of us, we were at WrestleMania, and one of our great inside jokes the entire week, like when we weren't doing stuff on camera, um, was we made fun of the Ultimate Thrill Ride. The fact that we called everything. Give me the, the green light. Green, give me the green light. We would we did it the <laughs> entire weekend in Orlando. You know that leading into this pay per view. They're all gonna have to get out there and in serious fashion and be serious about it and promote goodness gracious great balls of fire and no one's gonna take it seriously because it sucks because it's hokey because it's lame and because a 70 plus year old Vince McMahon's probably the one that came up with it and he's not in touch with what current wrestling fans want for the most part. It's a zero.
1: You know, the last time they did this, it was a like a subheader name to SummerSlam. That was Highway of Hell. I remember that back in the yeah, I was there, nineteen ninety eight, Austin Undertaker yeah. the main event. So yeah. that but that was the secondary name. So if they wanted to call it Bad Blood, Great Balls of Fire, or something else, Great Ball. If, if they wanted it to be the second name for SummerSlam, fine, I'm okay with it. This is an absolute zero. Goodness gracious, awful. I'm out of Atrocious. this. I don't even want to talk Guys, about it. Guys, I might surprise you, but I'm a full on hero here. Oh. And
0: it's becoming oh. so ridiculous. You're such that a mark, I it's awesome. It. I absolutely love it. It has the word balls in it. I mean, guys, look, we're, we you know, we got kids singing in, in WrestleMania 33 in the stadium singing, you know, at the Pitbull co- concert. Look at the lyrics of what Pitbull was talking about. Give him, give, give me, I got the green light mama and you know what that means. You know what he's getting that green light for, right? We're not talking about driving a car. I thought he, thought he was Coming a car. on there in the state. It's the same thing with Great Balls of Fire, but in a more ridiculous sense. I'm all for it because, look, what the heck does WWE Fastlane mean anyway? What does WWE payback? Nobody cares. I'm going to remember, though, the, the date, the main event, the everything surrounded Great Balls of Fire because it's so ridiculous. Stamp it. Move it on. Hero, baby.
2: Goodness gracious. That's a terrible take. Next up here. I-, I loved this on SmackDown. I really did. And this reminded me a little bit. Remember the dashing Cody Rhodes vignettes? Like, I thought that that was a pretty good gimmick. It, it never ended up getting over, but I loved the, the Tyler Breeze fandango, Breeze the fashion files vignette that they ran on SmackDown Live, uh, making fun of the Usos. I thought they were both really funny and I thought it was a different side of both those performers. Uh, I liked it quite a bit, you know, biting off the law and order with the fashion files there. So Brian, where do you stand Fashion Files Breezango, hero or zero heading into their match for the tag straps on SmackDown with the Usos?
0: I couldn't give it a bigger hero and it's not just because I'm a default gigantic Tyler Breeze fan and I tolerate Fandango and it's not just because I think both guys have overachieved in a really awful gimmick. I mean, they're the village people for 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 crap's sake. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I like it and I give it a hero because it's like you said it, it's. It's giving them a storyline. It's opening up the door to their character a little bit. They're not just going out there to job to American Alpha for two and a half minutes. It's actually giving them a chance. They can be funny when they do that Fashion Police gimmick and write people tickets. They were great on on Talking Smack two weeks ago with JBL. Total hero for me. Even if this means they're going to be go back to jobbing after losing this main event title feud, SmackDown is the land of opportunity, as cheesy as that sounds. It actually is. People get short runs that you would never get the time or day on Raw. So I like when this, there's development of their character. If for anything, to show somebody and show Vince, if he's watching, that Tyler Breeze
1: can work and deserves better. So, so I'm going to give it a hero in development because I crapped on The Miz and Maurice when they did that fake John Cena and Nikki Bella, the first one. I thought it was terrible. I'm like, oh, this is so bad. Then they came back with the second episode, and I really, really liked it. The next week, so I didn't love this. I didn't laugh during it. I was more amused by the stuff that was on the wall. Uh If you, if you, <laughs> if you want to freeze frame it and read some of those things, it John, is
2: very. It's a great point.
1: John Cena missing, and some of the board is hysterical. So I love Freddy loved, Blassie it. picture. Yeah, yeah, big boss frame. man picture. Yeah, Freddie Blassie yeah. in a frame because that's like their idol. That's the detective who's like retired off from the beat and like he's classy. The one classy, classy Freddy. So, Blassie. so I am giving it a hero. I didn't necessarily love the comedy and the lines and what, and what they said. The setup is good and there's three weeks until backlash. I'm okay with seeing where it goes. I think I'm going to enjoy it as they develop a voice and they figure this segment out. All right. Last one here on Hero or Zero. Brian, the new SmackDown faction. We already kind of discussed it. The welcoming committee. What do you think? Hero or Zero. Dude, absolutely a less than zero. Look, this is a
0: debacle. It ties into my displeasure with Charlotte turning face just to feel, just to feud with really, really four jobbers. And that, and that, that's a hardcore, that's a harmful word to use in this spot because obviously Natalia and Carmella, not really jobbers, but when they all pair together with no common connection outside of a jealousy towards Charlotte for some protection of SmackDown Live, who Charlotte thinks she is coming here, nobody cares about that. It, you know what it, what it screams of? And I've said it before last week. It screams of the awful Divas revolution in 2015, where kudos to WWE for giving Divas a chance, but you, you then take back that respect for how badly they did it, creating those three super team factions, team BAD, team PCB. One of them was called sorority sisters. Well, for no, all, no, it was the until, submission
2: sorority and they had to change it for obvious reasons because yeah, Google until, until submission people sorority, started Googling WWE and, and, would not come up. Yeah. Going down long
0: roads. <laughs> Look, it screams too much even of League of Nations, which had a lot of potential to be good. But really, it was just, let's take four people who have nothing else to do. Let's make them feel important for five minutes. This is what this feels like. Look, I hate it. I'd rather see Carmella with, with Jimmy Ellsworth over her shoulder doing some corny gimmick in a feud with Tamina that doesn't matter, but that you're giving attention to detail and time to in an actual story. Don't just lob them together. And what do they call the welcoming? Get out of
2: here. Zero. Yep, yeah, zero. It sucks. Um, and you it, it needs no further analysis. The creative team probably said, um, we have nothing to do with these people, so let's just put them together into a stable um Ellsworth get out of my face uh does nothing for me I think Carmella's kind of talented she's wasted here Tamina Snuka fine. she wants to be the muscle of that group have no problem with it Natalia is a good performer she is not the lead person in a stable this is a total zero
1: period it's zero for me put Carmella on raw let her help Enzo and Cass with a manager role a women's wrestling role. Get them to the tag team titles before SummerSlam. Let that happen.
2: Alright, now last one here and uh, we lied on this one, so this is the last one because this is Brian's guy Jinder Mahal. And I thought I liked Jinder Mahal and then I listened to this podcast and I realized that Brian Campbell really likes <laughs> Jinder Mahal. So Brian, hero or zero for what we saw from Jinder this week? You guys covered what we saw from him on the pay-per-view at the end of the House of Horrors match, so we'll skip that and we'll move on to SmackDown. Join with Shane during the title shoot. Remember, now he's got the title that he stole from Randy Orton and then he he goes over Sami Zayn with help from the Bollywood boys, the Sing Brothers. How did you feel about Jinder this week, hero or zero?
0: You know, I'll give it a I'll give it a soft hero. I think it's a continuation in the right direction. I don't think it had the same impact of the first two weeks. I thought seeing him in a match with Sami Zayn, which was meant to put him over, did kind of remind you that if you have any pause on the idea of Jinder being thrust into the main event level, he's really not a main event wrestler, right? I've I've talked about how I don't like I'm his finisher it. at all, that he's gonna need something a little bit more vicious. I'll say a soft hero because look, I like that he's in a photo shoot posing with the stolen belt, acting like he deserves it just because he stole it. I like some of those elements. I like the elements of of the of the Punjabi J and J security. I love when you're going to present a chicken crap heel, you're going to give him so some, some mini helpers around him to cause him trouble.
1: Just didn't have the same impact. A little bit softer this week, but we're
0: staying in the right direction.
1: Yeah, it's a zero for me. You said it. There's two ways to build up a heel or a new guy into a main event spot. You make him a chicken crap guy or you actually have him win matches now that he's has some confidence and he's thrust into this opportunity. I don't mind the Singh brothers kind of being involved early in the match and distracting Zayn and helping Jinder get an upper hand, but they shouldn't be involved in the finish when you need Jinder Mahal to get an actual legitimate win heading into this backlash match with Randy Orton. And by the way, I said this last week, and I'm going to repeat it again, why the hell are we supposed to like Sami Zayn? He is a loser.
2: Yeah. Um, the Zayn thing is a great point. Um, I When we were sitting at WrestleMania, he didn't even get his own entrance into the uh, the Battle Royale, so it's clear how they view him, a jobber to the stars. Um, I respect both of you guys, and there's a lot of other people I respect their opinions as well. And Adam, you brought up the point that I wanted to make, um, and I think that really speaks to just how big of an issue it is as it concerns Jinder Mahal. I agree with you in terms of the way that they're booking gender as, as the chicken, you know what heel, the guy who's winning matches in cheap fashion. I don't like that. I'd like to see him put over strong, right? Create some new talent. But. I've seen people that I respect on Twitter, people that I respect that I've spoken to that think that this is the proper way to book him right now, to build the cheap heat. Now, I agree with you. Put him over. Sami Zayn. Like, if Sami Zayn loses nothing by losing clean. He loses right. clean all the time anyway. Why not just put Jinder over strong heading into this match? So I'm with you. We've got varying opinions. So BC, where do you stand on that, the booking of Jinder as either the strong heel or the chicken you-know-what heel that needs help from his associates to win matches? Which would you rather see?
0: I'd rather see stronger because I think that's how you have to put over a strong foreign foil, and that's what he is. I mean, look, we're playing up. In reality, to make this work, you're playing up some of those xenophobe tendencies that are in a lot of people. I mean, let's not fool around with this. They're right? not like, even yeah, being you're doing this it. Yeah. for marketing reasons in India, but you're also playing up that there's a guy from a different culture who's being so bombastic in your face. Yeah, he would need stronger, more physical booking to 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 go with that. But like with that said, if they're going to play the middle, if they're going to bring in sing-and-sing sing security, there is a way to do it both ways and still please people. You know, Bottom it's, line. It's, but hey.
2: And he's got to get – You know, I like him. I think he's got a lot of potential. He's obviously got the look. He's the most ripped-and-cut guy and big guy on the roster in terms of overall physique. He's got to get it a little better on the mic. It's not an overall criticism, right, because he hasn't gotten the time really to shine doing that. But all he's shown you thus far is to come out, and I'm going to yell, and I'm going to sma- snarl, and I'm going to get angry. He's not that great yet. It's not an indictment because he hasn't got the time yet, but he's got to get a little better on the mic if he wants to stay in the upper main event picture after he loses to him. yeah. The, the- you know,
0: and, I, and I've got questions that that Randy Orton is the right babyface foil to bring out the best in gender. I don't I don't think that was a smart move, either, but we'll we'll slide out of this. And I want to tell you what we're gonna slide into, guys. We're gonna slide into my DMs. Yo, I all right? love sliding
2: into DMs. It's my favorite. I mean,
0: thing. I don't think Nick slides in enough. I mean, them DMs <laughs> are open, Nick. I've I've given you the you know I've given you the green
2: light. Well, model. I don't know about you know your DMs. Means. I'm sliding into some DMs, buddy. I don't think that they're yours.
0: <laughs> these are uh swipe left, by the way. Uh these are actual questions from actual fans who have slid into my DMs and same with Adam. Let's go around and uh, Nick, I want to hit you up with what Ryguy, at V underscore Vargas had to say. Love Ryguy. He's talking about payback this weekend. He said the live crowd in San Jose hated the House of Horrors match. Would pre-tape segments like this or the Hardy's Broken Brilliance be more suited for YouTube or network exclusives? And I think what he's really trying to say is do these type of stunts make more sense within the flow of a wrestling show like we saw on Sunday? Or should they be kept in their own universe separate from a ring for, for crap's sake? Um, that is, understand?
2: I think it's a highly intelligent question, and, and I mean that sincerely here. And I think that what – this generation of technology affords you here, right? With the WWE network being what it is, is the opportunity to do what Rye Guy's talking about. I'll be honest. I didn't like... The broken, brilliant stuff with Hardy, like the match that they had. What was it called? The final deletion? Yeah. Like it was interesting and it was different. I didn't necessarily like it. The House of Horrors was obviously a complete nutter utter disaster. Now, I do think that there is a place for this sort of creativity, right? Because you have the avenues to do it, whether it's a YouTube exclusive, whether it's something exclusive for the WWE Network. So I'm not trying to shy away from the creativity behind it, but I am with Rye Guy here. I don't want to see this on... Impact Live, not that I'm watching Impact Live. I don't want to see this on a pay-per-view. <laughs> I'm being serious. I don't really like it that much, but I do think that- It's called Impact Wrestling, but we'll have Whatever the hell it's to. called. Like, <laughs> there is a spot for it, it's just not on Monday Night Raw, it's not on SmackDown Live, and it's not on WWE pay per view So, I, I think it's a great question, and I, I think that he's right with what he's saying.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I agree a lot, and in fact, I don't remember if we even brought this up early in this podcast, uh, you know, in a previous show, but I want WWE to do things now that they have the network, now that they care so much about Twitter and Facebook and social media. I always have thought that WWE should bring back a version of the hardcore title where you could have a fall at any time. Call it the 24-7 title. You can alert people on their phones to a match. You can put something on Periscope. It can Not happen. Not the in- Great Balls title, Adam. All can- right? Let's no, do- the 24-7 title. It can happen the any- Great Balls
2: title. It can happen
1: anytime, anywhere, on the network. You can schedule matches. You can do whatever. By
2: the way, Adam, this is great what you're saying. Yeah, I actually really like
1: this. It, it. It's really good idea. And you know they brought back the Cruiserweight title instead or, or whatever. But they should have something like this where it's playing into both. You can have a match in a dumpster area, in a parking lot, in a backstage, in a ring, uh, while you're prepping for Raw, while like they're going through the motions, a guy brings a referee and you start having a, a match. Again, it doesn't have to be hardcore. It can be 24-7 where it's just a regular match in an area where you maybe there's no DQ or I don't know what you want to call it. I guess that's hardcore anyway. But point being, there's some, there's some validity to this concept. I just think it goes beyond individual matches. I think you give fans a reason to always be in tune to WWE, and that's the type of way that you do it. Adam DM slide number two
0: comes from Tim Bouvine. That's at TB045. He's got a super hot take for you, Adam. He says Neville greater than Finn. Both undersized, neither great on the mic, but he'd give the edge to Neville, and he's in better and he's better in the ring too. Claim, claims Tim. Basically, the question here is <laughs> Tim saying. Balor has the demon as
1: his only edge. What are your thoughts, Neville greater than Finn? Yeah, it's tough. Um You know, you can make an argument that in, at a different time that Finn Balor would be in the cruiserweight division. That if he wasn't really built up as a main event guy who was known the world over, that WWE, if they just found this guy, they might have shoved him in there. So it is pretty interesting. It's an interesting take. Neville as a face was terrible on the mic. Neville as a heel, I'm liking what he's doing. So... There is a little bit of an improvement there. Finn, they're starting to give a chance on the mic. Uh On Raw, I-, I thought he's doing a decent job. Uh, I don't know if I can say that Neville's greater, but I'll tell you, man, it's pretty close. Neville, I'm a big fan of Neville. I've marked out for him recently in this King of the Cruiserweights dark uh, guy. He's by far the best person on that Cruiserweight show. But then again, I think if you put Finn Balor in that role, he would have been too. So I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say Finn Balor's... Still greater, still better, if you're going to give me that equation. But it's close, and it's a really good question.
2: You nailed it. If you put Finn Balor in Neville's spot, Finn could do exactly the same, if not better, than Neville. Neville could not do what Finn Balor's doing. As far as in-ring goes, they're both spectacular. Here's the difference. Finn Balor has clearly connected with the audience in a way that Neville has not. That's not shade at Neville, who's a fantastic performer, but Finn Balor was white hot upon his debut, put over to the Universal Championship over Rollins, and got major baby face heat. That wasn't manufactured. The crowd loves Finn Balor. The crowd did not love Neville. Now, Neville's better in this role now as the king of the cruiserweights, but there's no comparison between these two. Neville's better suited as the cruiserweight, the lead guy there. Neville could not be the lead guy on Monday Night Raw the way that Finn Balor is.
0: Yeah, Dark Sith Neville is actually one of my three personal favorite superstars, but I gotta agree with you guys, and I think it's something you said, Nick. It's the it factor. Finn has that incredible it factor that I think is separate from the demon king gimmick and they mention it briefly on raw where they said look at his eyes look how confident he is and it's true there's something that just radiates out from him that's different that's confident that just grabs your attention it's something that neville only has that same ability to grab you when he's doing absurd corkscrew spins in the air or you're checking out his eight pack those are the only two times
1: right yeah next question comes in from another tim t smitty 724 on the twitter machine he wants to know, Brian, do you think Carl Anderson is going to get a singles run in WWE? Uh, no, this will be a short answer. Absolutely not. I don't think
0: he's really – I don't think that there's one that Warren said. I don't want to use deserve as the right word because I love the, the, the club a lot. But look, he he made his name as a tag team guy. He's so good opposite Gallows for many ways. My more complaint is that they don't get a big enough push. They When they win the titles, they job out. I think this question is interesting though. Are there other guys in WWE currently in a tag team, even separate from me loving Tyler Breeze to the nines, that should be separated, that should get a singles run? And I think there's obvious answers there. The biggest one for me is Big E of the New Day. I think that, you know, that original run as a babyface didn't work because the character development wasn't there. But physically, man, he works as an entertainer. He knows how to get over comedically. That guy will be a singles star one day, and I think it needs to happen sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, um, I agree. Carl Anderson, he is one of those guys who's a legitimate tag team specialist and he's fine in that role maybe if gallows at some point gets injured for an extended period of time they're not going to throw him off anderson off the show unless he really needs a vacation for some reason so if that happened you know but we don't want to wish an injury on anyone you bring up an interesting thing though with guys in a tag team now that would be would be great as singles i think big Cass. i don't know that he's necessarily (laughs) going to be wwe champion But there's a little... Yeah, but you know what he is, though? He's seven feet tall, and Vince McMahon loves that. And you can't can't (laughs) teach that. And you know what? Diesel... Kevin Nash, he just has a little bit, he's not as dark as him. And he's not as big. And he's not as big, but he reminds me of him in so many ways. Maybe it's just with the diminutive guy, the Shawn Michaels kind of dynamic him with, him with Enzo. Knife. But Cass, Biggie, and Kofi Kingston are three guys that immediately pop that these guys can have long, successful singles runs. They've tried it with Biggie and, and Kofi before, and you know, did, it fizzled out. They don't really book, they never booked those guys really strong but they're capable. What do you think? Matt?
2: All right, so as far as the New Day is concerned, the one run that they had with Kofi that was good was when he was feuding with Orton. Right? Yes. And when he destroyed Orton. Amazing. The, the NASCAR car and everything. Yep. The problem with Kofi is when you put him in a big singles match like that, he gets exposed because he's going to screw up. Remember the famous Orton, stupid, 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 after Kofi blew the RKO spot and Orton called him out on national yep. television, basically. So I think Kofi's best suited in this role. Like He's great for the, like, the spots in the Money or the Bank or the Royal Rumble, but he's not a legitimate 25-minute singles competitor match. So Kofi, I think you keep him in uh, the new day. As far as Carl Anderson at a singles run, no. The reason why, he wouldn't get over. The Bullet Club is not over. They're good workers. This isn't Japan where you get over on the strength of your work. You have to be able to talk. They're decent talkers. They aren't great. Carl Anderson will not get a singles run because the fans would not get behind him or boo him to any great degree. Now, one thing that we didn't have on this rundown, which I'm going to bring up here because of something Brian said, the tag team wrestlers that should potentially be split up. At some point, Sheamus and Cesaro are going to split up because these are both two very good singles wrestlers. I like what they're doing here. I like the heel promo that they cut on Monday night, and they're both great. So I like that. At some point, they'll be split up, and they'll go back. And at some point, the Hardys thing is going to run its course, the tag team. The nostalgia is going to run its course. They they gave you a little bit of the broken gimmick on Monday night, and the crowd did not respond to it. They either need to go Full insane with the delete and the hand motions, or they need to go full back to what they've done already. Because if you notice, it didn't get over what they were trying to do. And Matt Hardy looked like he was struggling. And you know that Vince McMahon sees Jeff Hardy and he sees dollar signs because before Jeff left the company, he was this is not an exaggeration, was the biggest single star in the company. That run with CM Punk was white hot before Jeff left. At some point, they're going to split the Hardys up, and Jeff is going to go back to the main yeah, event.
1: Yeah, Jeff was really over at that time, and, and I think it's going to happen sooner than later, splitting them up. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, there was a lot more of the broken kind of uh, talk, and even Sheamus sent a tweet after the match, like using Matt Hardy's broken terms, like kind of indicating – I wouldn't be surprised if they use these bro kicks to Matt's head to jar something loose. They're going to have to go at it a different way than they did in impact wrestling. They're not going to be able to turn him broken the same way with Jeff. It might have to be a different manner where something gets shaken loose in his head, or maybe they play it where he signed back with WWE and like, his brain switched back with Jeff. They're back together or whatever. And then now, you know, Seamus kicks it loose from him. So I think they're going to get there. I don't know that it's going to be him and Jeff turning on each other. But I do think once they lose the titles that they will split up. And I don't think it will be forced where they necessarily turn on each other for that to happen.
0: Yeah, and I, all they need is a dip in the lake of reincarnation, Adam, right, right next to Skarsgård, the dilapidated <laughs> boat, to really change this. And to your, to what you said, uh, Nick, for it, you you can't go back because nobody wants regular Matt Hardy, as good as he was as a hand in certain moments and in the ladder matches with the Hardy Boys. He will, cannot be something unless he's broken because that character was too good. They gotta go back to that. There's rumors that Vince McMahon and WWE are trying to buy out Anthem Sports, which, which owns Impact Wrestling, buy out that gimmick. It feels like they are because you're seeing more teases to it. But the reason why I don't think it got over th- this week, because they just did the hand gesture. You, to make that gimmick work, you need to focus on Matt being allowed to be at his compound with the cameras there, doing his hilarious catchphrases, doing the whole gimmick with, with his wife, Rebby, by his side playing the piano, King Maxwell in his arms, you know, the, the, the father-in-law Gardner. You need the full thing to- to make it work, I think we'll see that. Then I think it'll
2: be
1: why it, not. Is Vince, is Vince McMahon going to buy out a gimmick from Impact Wrestling? Is Impact if, – if WWE just tomorrow said we're going to go full broken character, is Impact Wrestling going to lawyer up against WWE and win yes. that battle? I don't think they would. They, well, they've already been lawyering up against the Hardys on the indie scene for a while. Yeah, against, against, individuals, power, yeah against individuals on the indie scene, not the WWE and their corporate – billion dollar company monstrosity. I, I mean, maybe, maybe, and maybe WWE is not as cavalier as they used to be where they just feel like they can take whatever they want. And they have always been respectful of other promotions to some degree. But if I'm Vince, I say, hey, just do it, guys. Like, I don't need to pay for anything.
2: And the final slide into the DM, Bry. This comes courtesy of hashtag lake show at DMIDI 78. He says, what do you think about the champion going to the ring first and waiting for the challenger? Shouldn't it be the other way around like in the old days where it was more intimidating and the champion had these psychological advantage? advantage? Advantage.
0: Look, 1 million percent from what Lake Show d Middy is saying right here. It's spot on. There's no need to flip that and switch that. Even in boxing and MMA, in certain instances, when somebody negotiates it into their contract like a diva, where even though they're not the champion, they get announced second, that still peeves me off because it's the champion's advantage to get announced second. It's tradition. It makes sense. You are the higher – even if you're not being paid more like in boxing, you're still the higher entity on the card as the champion. The reason why I think WWE should stick to it it <laughs> And you can argue it doesn't make sense, but I think they should is because there has to be still be foundational elements of WWE, of fake wrestling that is real, that corresponds to it being a real sporting event. They don't do enough of that by any means. Can you still have supernatural things like Bray Wyatt, Sister Abigail and that crap in that world? Yes, you can. But the foundation has to be strong of things that are actually real, that correspond with boxing and MMA, that feel like real sports. And if WWE can go back to that on some very subtle levels more often, I think they'd get more fans. I think people would, would feel the times when they manipulate the ending, cause they do, cause it's fake, it would feel
1: more exciting and feel more real if the structure around it felt real. Now, I, I completely agree with that. Great question from D-Meddy. 100%. Uh, the champion always comes in last. You need to have those elements of real sports in wrestling to make it feel real, to make it feel like it's a legitimate competition, and it's not just a show that's being put on. The other, the only exception I'll make, is there are certain entrances they have extra theatrics, there's uh, a certain need, whether it's the Bailey buddies on stage or whether there's, I, I, you know, I can't think of an exact example, but there's certain entrances that have elements that need to go on last, otherwise it'd be a cluster for them to go on first. So in specific instances like that, I'm okay with it, but those should be few and far between in my opinion. I think you, Nick, you guys there, nailed was it.
0: One, there was one last thing I wanted to hit you with, Nick, on a DM that came in late. It's from Brian at B Campbell CBS. Oh, no, I feel like Nick, I know Nick, that guy. Would you rather be on the, on the finishing end of Naomi's rear window or Jack Gallagher's teabag twist when he jumps off the top rope with that umbrella and what lands kind of spread eagle around, around your throat? I what, mean, where would you rather be on?
2: I mean, yeah, obviously I'd want to be teabag twisted, of course. I mean, what, what, what red-blooded American heterosexual male wouldn't want to be teabagged by Jack Gallagher?
0: Yeah, We're out of this segment, guys, and now we're time to slide into that old feel spot, right in the feel spot. You can be cynical. You can be a lot of things looking at the WWE product. But once in a while, usually once per week, there's something positive that activates that old wrestling fan in you, gives you the feels. I'm going to lead off this week, guys. With that Roderick Strong NXT package that that happened last week was part one. This week is going to be part two. And look, who's Roderick Strong? He's some average white guy from NXT. They didn't give you a reason to care about him over the over his launch of the last four or five months. Decent hand in the ring, not tall, not not overpowering in terms of his look. But they did something real to present a story around him that I thought was really smart. Real quick, his backstory growing up in Florida, grew up from parents that, that had an abusive relationship with substance abuse and alcohol. He was there in his trailer when his mom shot his dad in the shoulder during an argument when the mom was trying to leave the family. The parents were never home. He was raising himself. There's a, there's a real story that you connect to there, but there's a redemption angle on the other half of that. He's still close to his mom who now comes to the cards and chairs him on they both talk about turning lives around and it can happen to you you know it's cheesy whatever you take but it's real and wwe always works best when the storylines have that real life connection and i think before this you didn't have a reason to care about roderick strong now you do to cheer for this guy as an overcomer and it also plays into the fact there's no real baby faces anymore the idea of a white meat baby face outside of like a bailey is gone like they don't get cheers there's no reason to cheer for them you have a reason to cheer for this guy now because the way they presented this story felt real because it was and it gives you, an, you know, a picture of seeing people that have overcome despite tough circumstances. It hit me right in the center of that old field yeah, spot.
1: yeah, it was really well done. I mean, we should talk about the story is captivating on its own, but the package itself was really well done and NXT doing things like that to introduce guys to the WWE universe as a whole is good. I kind of wish they had done it earlier in his run with the company. He's been over for a while in NXT. The fans really really like him. They pop for him big. So I'm surprised it took this long for them to kind of tell this story, but let's also not forget they're in this new era of NXT where a lot of these stars that really helped NXT become what it is have gone and are in the the main roster right now. So I like the way they introduced him um, and reintroduced him, I guess, and kind of gave people a reason to root for him. The question is, what do they do? When they eventually call him up to the main roster on WWE, do they repeat this? Do they do something different? I uh, just give him a demon gimmick, Adam. Everybody's <laughs> got a demon gimmick. What hit you in the field spot this week? For me, you know, I've, I've been critical of Dean Ambrose pretty often on this podcast and on Twitter. Just, I, I don't buy him the way other people do. I don't think he's that great on the mic. He, his jokes don't land a lot. He, he's not as strong as I think WWE thinks he is. But him. Well, the thing with the phone was stupid too. Oh, you know, like the was phone. Calling
2: Kurt Angle, like it's dying a slow
0: death out there. Yeah, no. You can
1: see the text. You can see that the letters on his correct. screen is
0: if he, you know, come on.
1: And that's an issue like with TVs and movies, TV shows and movies too. They never just figure that out. Like, oh, when you're on a call, it doesn't look like that on the phone. But I'm getting sidetracked here. So I'm not a huge fan of him in general on the mic. I think he's fine in the ring. He he was a little rough early, but he's getting better. But I loved the three backstage interview segments that they had with Dean Ambrose this week with him acting like an old-school announcer, not just asking pretty decent questions, actually, but having fun with Finn Balor in the donut, throwing to Gorilla Monsoon and and a lot of other old you know wrestling names when he's thrown back to the commentators. That hit me in the feel spot. I really loved it. I'm not going to go on to talk too much about it, but if they can use Dean Ambrose in roles like that, I think that's where he's going to shine more than putting him in a a ring and having him make some pretty bad jokes that don't really hit home and don't get responses from the crowd. He's not seeing. Punk. And we saw The Drifter. How about the call out for the Pearl Jam song? That was fantastic. That was good too. So overall for me, I just really happen to
2: like that a lot. Um, what didn't hit my field spot this week, and I'll be very quick with this, Heath Slater should never come to the ring and not talk. When he came out before he jobbed to Apollo Crews, I'm actually sitting there watching Raw in my apartment thinking, please get the mic, please get the mic, please say something funny. So the more Heath Slater on the mic, the better. But what hit me, BC, in that field spot this week, we talked about this at WrestleMania, right? What you really look for as a wrestling fan, right, when wrestling ascends to that Shakespearean level is when you sort of lose yourself in the moment as a fan, right, and you forget that, wow, like. This is, what I'm watching is fake. It's choreographed. It's pre-produced. And you, and you're thinking like, oh my god, this is really great. Like you're actually watching something, a real sporting event. The main event of Raw did that for me on Monday night. And I brought up the spot earlier on um, this podcast, the superplex into the Falcon Arrow. I was breathless after he hit that. I'm sitting there thinking like I'm actually laughing, like I'm chuckling to myself alone in my apartment. Like <laughs> that was so good that it took my breath away. All you can do is laugh. That's when wrestling is at its best, when it hits you in those moments. Like you call it the feel spot, Bri. That's what did it for me when I was – What do you call it?
0: The great balls of fire? <laughs> um, no, no,
2: I think the feel spot's pretty good. I mean I, you call it other names, probably not appropriate for this podcast. But, man, that main event on Monday night on Raw, kudos to those three gentlemen. What a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic match reminding us why we all love this sport so much.
0: And kudos to the three gentlemen on this podcast, guys. I think, you know, we came out there. I think we just brought it. I think we just spilled the passion all over the place, right? I mean, I I don't
1: need to bury Horowitz ourselves, but.
0: That's fine. But I just patted. I patted all three of us, not on the back, in other places. Twitter handles, <laughs> let's put them gracious. out there. At B Campbell, CBS, at Silverstein Adam, Nick Costos. Where you at?
2: You can find me at TheCostos, Costos, T H E K O S T O S. The reason being, there are lots of Costoses out there. I am the premier one, TheCostos, Costos, <laughs> T H E K O S T O S.
0: We remind you to subscribe to in this corner with Brian Campbell. Give it that five star rating. Give it a review. Hit us up on Twitter. Say what you don't like. What you do like. Slide in our DMs. Let, let, let's get your voice out there. We're men of the people, guys. You got any closing comments before we send it out of here?
2: Um, my closing comment is um I said earlier Seth Rollins is Shawn Michaels. I said just now that Seth Rollins, his work on Monday night, hit me in the feel spot. Seth Rollins has got to get better on the mic as a babyface because I did not like um, the promo that he cut on Monday on Raw. He, the inspirational gimmick, like it's going to run its course. At some point, Seth is going to have to evolve a little bit as this good guy here. If he is going to achieve that Shawn Michaels overall career status, that I think that he can, I want to see improved microphone work from Seth Rollins here as he continues as a babyface. You know,
1: Nick oozes wrestling passion. We're here closing out the show, and he still has a take. Yes, he he still to deliver. got hot takes. Still has hot takes. Has to deliver him.
2: So that is my, my close.
0: We'll be back next week hitting you up all over your field spots with all things. WWE listen to the boxing podcast. We'll have an MMA one next week ahead of UFC 211. It's a big card coming up and we out later.